It's go time. CFL started its newest season earlier than ever before. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Guys, May 22nd of 2023, the Elks are in Calgary to play the Stampeders, the earliest contest in CFL history. We're inching ever closer to that warmer weather Grey Cup game that Don covets so much. I don't think it's only Don. There's a number of us that would love to have a warm weather Grey Cup. There is a caveat to all of this. There's a problem that the CFL has to deal with, and this is probably the part of the equation I didn't understand in the past. And that is the NFL draft is where it is. The CFL has its draft after. There's timelines built into all of this. And as you work your way towards training camp, you need X number of days, X number of days, X number of days. Truthfully, as they've said repeatedly, a 10th team would make it a lot simpler. Let's go Halifax. Let's get the Atlantic schooners into the league. That's the way we're going to shorten the schedule by a week or two and have this Grey Cup game played first week in November, not the last week. However, having said that, the last week of November, or the second last week in November even, isn't the worst if you get lucky with the weather. But again, you shouldn't have your championship game predicated on the notion that if we get lucky, then we'll be all right. The NFL draft traditionally begins on the last Thursday in April, which is somewhere usually around the 26th, 28th, somewhere in that neighborhood and carries on through that weekend. As you alluded to, Don, the CFL draft follows suit the following week. So there's a lot of moving parts as far as players drafted into the NFL. There's that small window where they can sign undrafted and then it gets into the CFL drafting Canadian players and and signing contracts and that sort of thing. So that 10th team would eliminate the need for at least one bye week, shorten that season a little bit and get us into that early November Grey Cup date. The other thing that you could do, and heaven forbid this happens, you could shorten the schedule and go back to a 16-game schedule. I'm not advocating it. That's just an option. As CFL fans, I would not advocate for that either. (laughs) Let's keep it at 18. I love it. It came from the era where they would play 16 games, but they'd have four preseason games. Mm -hmm. And at a meeting, they decided that that was enough. We don't need to have all these preseason games. Let's make the last two count. And that's why the CFL was first to get to 18. I've loved it. If they could play 20-22-24, I'd be thrilled. But I know the wear and tear in the body. The Then we'd definitely be playing well into December. I understand all of that. 18 is fine. What does happen, though, with only two preseason games is it's a very short window for new players coming into camp to make an impression. It is. And I agree with you completely, Heath, that your options to make a club really depend on very limited interaction with coaches, assignments with learning the playbook, and it makes it very difficult. It is, in a way, a sense 
of trying to maintain some continuity, i.e., you better be special or the veteran gets to keep the job. Some could argue maybe that's a good thing. Some may argue that's a bad thing. It really does make it tough for new players. However, as we've seen with teams that are rebuilding, let's point back to Edmonton last year, a lot of humanity went through that lineup. There were a lot of opportunities. Now you see the Elks this year much more in tune with what they want. In uh, 2022, if I'm remembering Steve's Steve Daniels' stats, the amount of snaps taken by first-year players in the CFL was something on the order of 15%. What he argued and what I would absolutely agree with is when you've got veterans playing the game and they know what they're supposed to be doing, the game improves. So you do take your chances a little bit by having more rookies in your lineup, having those opportunities for them, obviously they'll get the experience and they'll become the veterans. But in the interim, what do you lose? And that's always that crux that you kind of find yourself with. I think that may be another reason why we see teams who are in a rebuilding process going a bit younger and taking up to two years before they really are competitive. They might go from a, you know, a five win season to an eight or a nine the next year and then move on to a winning season beyond that once those players have learned the nuances of the game. Well, let's look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mike O'Shea comes in there. That team was atrocious. And over time, they started changing the, the, the lineup, moved in with a couple of veterans in key places, but they built over time. You saw a long, slow trajectory for the Blue Bombers, and then it manifested itself with two Grey Cup wins and three Grey Cup appearances. That's not a bad philosophy. It is. If you've got the buy-in from upper management, from the fans, if they can appreciate what you're doing and stay patient, it's a great way to do it. And I'm not 100% sure the Bombers are done yet. Two wins and, and a final appearance and everything indicates that they're the team to beat in the West again until proven differently. I think certainly they're going to remain competitive. I guess where you'll see a difference is on a team like Edmonton with Chris Jones running so many players through last year, settling on a few of those veterans that are going to get another year of playing. Can they make the move to improve quick enough that Chris Jones can continue the trajectory he wants to go on? Because as you allude to, Don, fans and media get very impatient when there's little growth from season to season. And the other team staring down the barrel of that is the Ottawa Red Blacks. They made some splashes two seasons ago in free agency. A few moves last year, but certainly not to the same extent. And now they are hoping for a healthy Jeremiah Mazzoli and to see the fruition of all of those pieces that they've put into place. This is your your build over those two seasons. Now it's time to to prove that they've made the right moves and improve in the standings. We talked about the Blue Bomber situation. DraftKings has Winnipeg as the favorite to be in the Grey Cup. Toronto to meet them there. It's interesting to see how they've ranked everybody. The Lions are third in their ranking with the Thai Cats tying them. And then they've got the Stampeders, the Alouettes, the Rough Riders, the Red Blacks, and at the bottom of the heap are the Elks. I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, it seems like the other betting services are kind of agreeing with 
that that Edmonton is like a plus two thousand to twenty five hundred if you want to bet on them to go all the way. By comparison, the Stampeders are around six hundred to six fifty. The I just don't see Ottawa being that poor. I don't see Edmonton being that poor. The Elks, especially with that receiving core, their offense is going to be better, and that was what held them up last year. I was surprised to see Montreal as high as they were, right below the Stampeders. To me, that that's a team that I'm waiting to see how they'll come through a tumultuous offseason um, with a change in ownership, and, and, and will they be able to compete in the East? The East, I think, is one of those types of situations where you put all the team names into a jar, you shake it, and you throw them out, and you you just don't know what you'll get. As we saw with Jeremiah Mazzoli, injuries can change your trajectory so quickly. If something happens to Chad Kelly in Toronto, is Ben Holmes going to be able to step up? That's a question that has to be answered. Bo Levi Mitchell and Hamilton, what happens if he goes down? These these questions that we have, they have to be played out, obviously, but the dynamics could change completely based on who's healthy. Another question that I'd throw out is with Toronto being, you know, at this point in the season, bet on to finish first with Chad Kelly as a truly untested rookie. Um, you know, hopefully it works out for them, but, but that remains to be seen as well. And with... The unpredictability of the CFL. Those are some value picks with Ottawa and Edmonton being rated as big of a long shot as they are. Not just necessarily to think that they are going to run the table and finish at the top of the standings in their division, but we have seen third place teams come through the playoffs and make it into the Great Cup and win in the past. So it wouldn't take much, especially for that Ottawa team, to get into the playoff picture in the East and make some noise. You're exactly right, Heath. It It is the joy of this type of season when we come into the CFL. We talked about teams getting younger, Ottawa being one of them, but the Calgary Stampeders are very much younger than they were the year before. A lot of change in that lineup. And we talk about Calgary as being the model. They are, over the last 20 years, tried and true, steady. They're always in the hunt. They're always in the playoff picture. And here they are rebuilding right in front of us. How is that going to play out? Let's get to that preseason game. They do defeat the Edmonton Elks in Calgary, 29-24. to 24. The, the Stampeders, for their part, they, they did play Jake Mayer for the first quarter. Basically gave Kadeem Carey a bunch of stats by handing the ball off to him. Mayor wasn't going to be tested. He wasn't going to be risked. And I think they got what they needed out of it. For Edmonton, Kai Loxley was the quarterback of note. This was his opportunity to prove to the coaching staff, I'm the guy that can be on this roster as a quarterback, not a receiver. Kai Loxley finished 15 of 22 for 158 yards and a touchdown. Those are pretty decent preseason numbers. And he may have proven that point. A great thing with a player like Kai Loxley, though, is that flexibility. He's not likely to be anointed the starting quarterback that will go to Taylor Cornelius in all likelihood. But to have him in that backup quarterback role 
also as an offensive weapon in as a receiver, this might be one of those situations where we finally see that new rule come into play with two quarterbacks on the field. Edmonton would not be remiss in trying that. That would certainly be interesting to see what they would do with it. Stephen McAdoo, I'm sure, is open to a lot of ideas, and he's a very creative soul himself. Edmonton could, because of their situation last year, looking for something to spark the team, could try something more than what we would normally see from someone else. Jarrett Dagey is looking at this situation as well. He came into the game, he played some meaningful minutes, and this is his opportunity to become a quarterback in the Canadian Football League. If he makes his mark, and he did okay against the Stampeders, then you could see Loxley being shuffled back to slot where he played most of the season last year. It's nice to have that problem, I guess, but if you're Kai Loxley and you want to be a quarterback, it isn't your favorite scenario. How would it work if Diggy becomes the backup quarterback and Loxley is in the game? Can they can they play him at quarterback in that situation? You can dress two quarterbacks. If you want to dress a third, you're totally fine with that. You just have to chew up a roster spot to do it. Loxley could be referred to as a receiver. And what you could do is what we used to see sometimes where they throw the option. So you drop back, you throw it toward the sideline like a lateral, and then that receiver would throw it down the field. You could certainly do it in that circumstance. I guess my question is if if Loxley is in as a receiver and yet the coach believes he's done enough to be the second quarterback in the game, and if for whatever reason Cornelius is out of the game, can they put into a full-time quarterback role their receiver? That's how they identified him at the beginning of the game. Yes, they can. Which gives them some more roster flexibility. They they did it, yeah, they did it last year. When Trey Ford went down, they did it. Mm -hmm. Loxley played third down steps. It's... It's funny. It's it's kind of a weird thing, but Edmonton's saying he's a receiver, but he can play quarterback. He's it. It's one of those nuances. Now, one of the things that's happening in the NFL that could tie into all of this, if the CFL is interested, is the NFL is having a third quarterback dress for a game, but not be on the roster for the game, and that would be considered, for want of a better term, an emergency quarterback. Essentially, if the top quarterback, your starter, and the backup quarterback are injured or suspended or whatever that takes them right out of the game, then that person could move on to the roster and become the quarterback for the remainder of the game. It's not a bad idea. We do see situations in the NHL with the emergency backup goalie from time to time. I I don't see... Zamboni drivers and accountants stepping into that role in in football like you do in hockey necessarily but to have that extra body not taking up a roster spot but being available is going to eliminate situations where we saw I believe it was the Denver Broncos where they were out of quarterbacks and had a receiver playing quarterback didn't really go well for the Broncos and was a, a tough watch on television. So to have somebody that's capable and knowledgeable be able to step into that role is going to calm the waters a little bit as opposed to really just throwing a game away. 
Ottawa had to face that same situation a couple of years back. For the quality of the game, I think having a, a, a trained quarterback who can step in, knowing that he's not going to step in unless there's that emergency situation, is going to make the game better. I, I think you hit it on the head, Heath. It's a good thing. Hopefully it doesn't have to be used often. If it does, then maybe we need to take a look at, at doing more to protect the quarterbacks. What do you do for scale in terms of salary? If this is a non-rostered but dressed player, do they get a game salary even if they don't play, or do they stay on the practice roster for that game and get that stipend instead? This is another thing you have to come to terms with the CFLPA. They'd want to know if this guy's wearing a jersey, he's got to be paid like the rest. Is the CFL thinking that way? We'll find out if they ever come to that station. I'm sure the NFL had to deal with that same sort of thing. If that guy's dressed, what is his salary for that game? Because a starting salary, like a guy that plays on the active roster for that game, gets a certain stipend where the guys that are not dressed do not. And it may be a case of they're earning a salary, but potentially it doesn't count against the salary cap in the fact that they're used only as an emergency quarterback if they get in. I think the cap will always count. I think it's more important that if you're going to do it, you have to sort of agree at the beginning of the season that this person's going to make whatever the binding agreement comes to, and you leave it at that. If it's somewhere between practice salary, if it's something, a stipend, you divide 18 into, say, 72, so they make $4,000 that night just for just for dressing, an extra 4000 Who knows? In layman's terms, it's almost like being paid to be on call. Exactly. Great point. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it will help, I think, address some of the, the issues that are faced when freak occurrences happen and you do find a receiver in a quarterback. Now, of course, Edmonton's got that covered, right? But not everybody has that luxury of having a quarterback play receiver. Now, technically... Nick Marshall, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, was a quarterback prior to becoming a defensive back. And a few years ago, he did short yardage for the team. So there was an option to pass potentially. And we might see that more and more with players who, because of their athletic ability, are moved from quarterback to a different position and they can potentially step in, which is always the emergency backup. But is it the quality you want in that game at that time? I don't believe it is. More Willie Jefferson at wide receiver, please. Of course, that's what we need is the Bombers to come at everybody in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the game in Calgary had its issues. First and foremost, the smoke that's been plaguing Western Canada infiltrated Calgary. Fortunately, the wind changed direction. With only a half-hour delay, the game was able to start. With about five minutes left in halftime, a thunderstorm rolled through. And, of course, safety protocol requires that you don't play if lightning is striking, I think, within 15 kilometers or something like that. So they had another hour delay. In terms of watching the game, it kind of slowed down the energy a little bit. But interestingly, the teams really came out in the third and fourth quarter, and especially the fourth quarter, and put points on the board. You could argue that maybe they were better rested, but a lot of the guys that were out in the fourth quarter were guys that hadn't played in the first half. All in all, Stamps TV did a fantastic job 
of covering the game. Uh, Mark Steven was the play-by-play voice. Greg Peterson, who used to play with the Stampeders in the CFL, was the, the color commentator. Their effort was stellar. It really was top-notch. It was good to see the game's get some broadcast coverage. We know TSN changed up their their network broadcasting a little bit for preseason games and eliminated some. So the ability to stream online and you're essentially getting the stadium feed and local play-by-play on it still gives you the opportunity to watch those teams. And in preseason, you're really watching to see who makes waves who might be the next up-and-coming players on the team. So uh, a great effort and all around to get that game on streaming services so people can have a look. I give credit to Victor Kui of the Edmonton Elks. He was the one that really was championing this and gave some pushback to TSN when they dropped two games from their broadcast schedule. Now, But given that you have in-house productions now at every stadium, all you have to do is what the Stampeders did, tie it into the radio feed, and it worked brilliantly. And we can hope for the rest of that through the preseason. The NFL, for their part, if you want to know, they have some national broadcasts of preseason games, but for the most part, it's handled by local TV. They bid on it, and that's their time to shine with the NFL product. I think it's always a good opportunity to have local guys get a chance to call the game because we know that TSN announcers tend to stay there for a long time, but it's interesting to have a different home team perspective. It's like if you aren't able to watch on TV and can listen to the radio or on Sirius, the games are broadcast by that home broadcast team, and it gives a a varying perspective if you're a CFL fan. It's interesting to listen to how other broadcast teams see their team and and announce their games. And I actually do listen to some local broadcasts fairly regularly throughout the season as well. If I'm traveling and not in front of a TV, I'm finding the local station um, on my phone or I know Sirius XM does have a channel that generally broadcasts them and you hear the home team radio broadcast on that as well. And it is great. There are some fantastic radio play-by-play and, and color commentators in this league. So any opportunity to to check them out, it does give you a bit of a different perspective and it is quite enjoyable. The one thing that impressed me the most about the broadcast crew was they called the game pretty much down the middle. There wasn't an overt bias towards the Stampeders. You know they're the Stampeder announcers. You know they're going to talk about them more. But if Edmonton made a great play, they called it as... They saw it, and I th- I was impressed with that. We so much see this in baseball, especially Midwest, where guys are saying, get out of your ball, get out of your ball when the home team's trying to hit a home run. And I don't need a fan in the booth. I want you to call the game. I'll figure it out for myself how I react to it. Dylan Mitchell, receiver with the Edmonton Elks, has gone out on record saying that he wants to surpass 2,000 yards in receiving this year. Good luck. He's played one season. He's had 637 yards in that one season in 2022. Is it possible? It's good to have a goal. It's a lofty one. I like the confidence. If it does not go well, it's going to 
come back to bite him. I think there's going to be a lot of negativity, especially through social media channels and perhaps some of his opponents. But if he comes through and even has a, a 1,500-yard season, that's got to be considered a, a great success, maybe not quite reaching the goal that he has set for himself. But he's a confident man. Teams these days have, I think, outstanding receiving core. And so if one player is going to get 2,000 yards as a receiver, that tells me that the rest of the team isn't necessarily playing up to the way they should, or else the offensive coordinator is really lacking in some creativity. I think a team that is going to be successful is going to distribute that ball to the running back as well as all receivers on the field so that people don't know what's coming. It's rare to see a receiver dominate to that degree in any league. And at this point, I don't see Dylan Mitchell making 2,000 yards, but hopefully he does go over 1,000 yards. I think that's a very successful season. To reach those kind of numbers, you have to be a phenomenal talent. I know what you're saying, Pat, about ball distribution, but if you have a Randy Moss type player, a Jerry Rice type player, you're going to give him the ball more so than any of the other receivers. I think it remains to be seen whether or not Dylan Mitchell is that type of receiver yet. Exactly my point. He's he's talking the talk right now, and it's his opportunity to back it up. We've had receivers that have lit up this league. Alfred Jackson is the one that comes to mind. When he was with Winnipeg and Matt Dunnigan, those two put on an aerial circus. Terry Greer. We had Milt Stiegel and and now Kahari, and well, coaching with the Red Blacks, but then quarterback of the Blue Bombers, Kahari Jones. And look at the numbers they put up. It's possible that this can happen. The problem is you got... Eugene Lewis, also on that team, who also would like to get 1,000 yards. So what do you do with the running backs? What do you do? I think that's the bigger question. It's not so much that you can chuck the ball and, and satisfy your receivers, but what about those running backs? Because there won't be many plays left for them. If you have a coach that is going to live and die by passing only, you might have a better opportunity. But but I think in this case, we saw Edmonton, they came on well with the running game at the end of the year, and I think they've got to build on that to keep defenses on their heels. If Mitchell wants to do it the short way, 30 catches of 70 yards and he's made it. He's going to have to get those yards after contact, yards after catch yards up in order to reach that goal. Toronto Argonauts, 150th anniversary of that football team, and they've come out with a different pallor to their blue Something that we've seen about 15 years ago, most notably probably 50 years ago. It, it takes them back in tradition to that, that more maritime look, I think. I'm excited for it. I like the look of it. Um, I think it's going to be something that will stand out for them. And uh, I like when teams take a little bit of a risk and also return back to their roots. And in this case, I think this uniform has successfully done both. I don't know if it's uh, a look that they will go permanently moving forward. To keeping, but it's a great nod for an anniversary for a special edition. It's a, a classy look as well, so um, they, I think they're going to look great out there. This Cambridge blue that they're wearing, the helmet, the last time they had that color helmet was 1962. I think it's a great look. The The only problem that I do have with it, and I've heard Three Down Nation refer to it in their podcast, is the oars that come down the shoulders. They do look like feathers. It's hard to distinguish. And one of the things that I think John Hodge said is that if it's not immediately recognizable, don't do it. They have oars on the pants as well. 
I, I know it's a nod to the seafaring ways of the Argonauts Rowing Club that started this football franchise. It's amazing that they're 150 years old. That's just mind-boggling that a team could be around that long. The Lions have also come up with a new look. Gone is the orange, in is the black, and the fog. The fog maybe fits for uh, Vancouver, and I think they're even calling it the blackout look um, with orange highlight. But the away jersey is strictly gray with very little orange, which is a real break with recent tradition anyway. It's a lighter shade of gray than what would have been worn in the 60s when teams typically wore gray pants with whatever top they happened to be wearing. I kind of like it. I, as with the Argonauts, I think it's a nice look. The Stampeders have jigged their look just a little bit. More emphasis on red and white during the season, and the alternate jersey will be another all-black jersey, the one that they've typically worn on the Labor Day contest against Edmonton. These changes always get expensive for fans if you want to have the most up-to-date look when you go to the stadium. Um, personally, I've been a fan of the Lions Orange. I think it's a, a very distinctive look in the CFL. The new gray, just looking at the pictures that we have available, I know I know gray is a different color, but it's not too different than Hamilton Tiger Cats white uniforms in some ways. The, the orange has been unique and really stood out. So um, I like the black look, not necessarily a fan of the gray. I wouldn't mind seeing the home and road jersey kind of swapped a little bit where you have the home top black and the home bottom, the fog gray, and then put the black pants on the road jersey. Wouldn't that be something to... And that's the thing. You can mix and match with these things. It's not like you're wedded to it. But I've always liked the... I don't know what, what call... Yeah, the double stacked look, I guess we'll call it for that. Where you have one color on top and another color on the bottom. It certainly adds, uh, you know, that contrast. Uh, I like... Uh, of the jerseys, I like Toronto's and I like Calgary going back to the straight red and white. Um, when I saw the black, which they came up with two years ago... It, it made me think more of the Red Blacks. You've got two teams kind of wearing similar colors. And, and I like the fact that they've gone back to the strictly red and white. The black jersey, Calgary was the first to bring that in years ago. And, and uh, they're going back to that tradition as well. I, I could do without that, to be honest. I, I like the, the dark red and the, and the white and red jerseys as your home and away myself. It almost seems like black is the go-to for just about everybody to have as a third kit we see it in the nfl uh we've seen it even with the rough riders who are traditionally just green and white and they had black jerseys back in the early 2000s i'm not a huge fan of it the lions have had black as part of their color scheme since day one so i have no problem with that ottawa no problem with that calgary was red and white when they started they there was no black at all now it doesn't mean you can't add a color and 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 embellish your look a little bit but i kind of think stick to your roots stick to who you are i've always been a fan of that and i think that's maybe what you were alluding to heath when you see that orange kind of disappearing with with the lions absolutely thank you listeners for tuning into fashion chat here on third down gamble <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
Well, what else can we yeah, talk about? I, I never thought I'd be called a fashionista. <laughs> hey, it's all part of the marketing, right? Like I said, it, it gets expensive if you want to have that, that newest look. Um, I My jersey collection is fairly limited, but I do have two very different colors of blue in my Blue Bomber jersey collection. I'm just a big fan of distinction. Try to be not only unique unto yourself, but different than the other teams in your division. And I do think it's, it's fun to go back and see these teams in their jerseys at different periods of time. You know, when I first came into watch the CFL, of course, as a Ryder fan in the 80s, when I see that iconic jersey that they had during that time, it takes me back to my youth. And I, I love when they go back to those traditional uniforms and put them on for Labor Day. Those things mean something to me and they make me very proud of my team and the colors that my team represents. And I think that's the same for most CFL fans. They, they want to see something a little bit different, exciting. You want to be with the new trends, the new number styles. But at the same point, that tradition matters. Well, you don't want to be, and I'm going to take a big swipe at the NBA like that, where teams might have 15 different kits they wear in a season and they could be on the road and I have to stop and wait for the little line at the bottom to say who's playing tonight because I can't recognize them. You can't even necessarily tell by reading what's on the front of the jersey. No, it's fine. If it works for what their demographic demands, more power to you. It's just not something I care for. Sean Lemon is out of the BC Lions camp. Surprised? I was. He went out fairly early, and I didn't think that uh, he was going to necessarily go out that early. Um, maybe it's giving him a chance to re-sign with another team, but but he's been unsigned for the better part of a week now. And, uh, you know, you've got the defensive player runner-up from last year unsigned, and it's it's. I know it's potentially about his age, Maybe there's something else going on, but it w- I was a little shocked. I'm curious to see what BC's defensive line looks like come start of the season. We saw Steve Richardson earlier uh, release on the interior of that defensive line, and now Sean Lemon. Those are two pretty stellar defensive linemen in the CFL to have cut ties with even before the season starts. I... I strongly suspect that Sean Lemon is going to land on another CFL roster before this is all said and done, but a little bit surprising that uh, that we haven't seen any news of that yet. It could be at the stage of his career that the interest is waning in him. Richardson, that does surprise me that there hasn't been a move to pick him up. Again, teams have to find out what they've got in camp, and then if there's something that is going to be a need, then you address it with one of these two players. It is a surprise to see a player, especially of Lemon's stature, where he was MOP defensive runner-up, and yet he uh, is not on a roster at this point in time. Did he price himself out of the market when he signed with the Lions? It's hard to say. It will be interesting to see if another team signs him and and at what price... Coming up on Saturday, we have a triple header. Now, again, if you want to watch this, you're going to be watching on your device. The neat thing, I, I'm going to plug Apple a little bit, but I sign into my phone, I can airplay it to my TV, and I could watch the game on the big screen. That was fantastic. I love that. The Ticats and the Argonauts, 
Edmonton and Winnipeg in a rare simultaneous kickoff start on Saturday afternoon. And then later that night, it's the Lions in Regina. Just to touch on the technology here a little bit, we've been talking for the last couple of seasons about the change in content and how people consume that content. This is a great opportunity for the CFL to test out some of their streaming, uh, the CFL and TSN, to test out kind of their streaming services, what all of that looks like, what it entails. And curious to see what the viewership numbers are. Now, granted, preseason games are not a ratings blockbuster to begin with, but having that content available on a different platform gives people that opportunity. It is very simple to to stream and and mirror or share it up onto your big screen. Uh, it gives you that opportunity to watch it just like you would a, a over the airwaves or a cable program. Three big games coming up, and as we talked earlier, these rosters are slimming down rapidly, and we're going to get to see, especially for Edmonton, this is going to be their second game already, so do we start to see Taylor Cornelius, some of those starters, in a little bit more of a role in this game coming up? Let's get to a different question. If you're Edmonton, do you like the fact that you've played both your preseason games so quickly? As a coach, I wouldn't. I'd want some more time to evaluate players in practice to maybe put in a few more schemes. Um, but it is what it is, and, and Edmonton's notoriously ran through a lot of players, so this may be an opportunity for them to make some moves and potentially pick up some other players where they're not satisfied. And on the flip side of that, it gives them two opportunities to see everybody in game action before some teams have seen their players in one. So I understand what you're saying in in drawing up plays and scheming, but now they're going to have two games under their belt and they can evaluate film on both of those games and take their action accordingly. The Elks will play on Saturday, as we indicated, and then they start the regular season on June 11th. That's going to be a long time to prepare for their opening home date. The other game that's going to be played this weekend, Friday night on TSN, is Montreal and Ottawa. Cody Fajardo not going to be playing in that football game. Is that a misstep by the Alouettes, not getting him acclimatized to that offense? I don't think so. I think it's an opportunity to take a look at the other players that they have out. I think a lot of teams sit their starting quarterback to begin with. And I think Cody Fajardo has been in the league long enough that he should be able to pick things up and run mental reps. So this is the opportunity for the others to shine and determine if they are going to make the team or not. I am going to disagree with you a little bit on this one, Pat. It'd be one thing if he was returning to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for another season. But he's in a new city, a new scheme, a new coaching staff, minus a familiar offensive coordinator, mind you. But from a fan perspective, Alouette's fans are going to want to see the next guy. And it looks like Cody Fajardo is going to be that number one quarterback in Montreal. You don't necessarily need to run him out there for a, a long segment of that game but a couple of series just to give those fans a chance to get a look would be great for building that community and and getting him to be a part of that team well you have other teams like in Hamilton Bo Levi Mitchell is also not playing and he's in that same situation so I think that's that's more of a coaching decision to to limit the potential for injury 
when you're playing backups on the offensive line and you know new players on the defensive line who may try to make a, a splash in in their actions to me i think in the second game there's more opportunities for the schemes to be built and, and less opportunity for freak types of injuries well let's look at the game that we just saw taylor cornelius doesn't make the trip to calgary jake Mayer starts the game for the stampeders trevor harris is not going to start or play we've chronicled that bo leo mitchell is not going to cody fajardo is not going to i haven't heard yet what ottawa is going to do with their quarterback situation you're right. It is a coaching decision. I just, I kind of like what Calgary did. Just get him out there. Even if you're just handing the ball off, just get him on the field. Yeah, Jake Mary in that game was uh, one of three passing. So he didn't get out there to do a lot, but he got onto the field and got that game feel. Where we often see this as a mistake or as a good call is is in that first game of the season, right? Is the quarterback look like they, they have lots of game practice or repetition or, or do they struggle with the offense to begin with so we can make all the judgments we want at this point in time but I think it'll remain to be seen what happens when they do take the field when it truly matters four games on the weekend can't wait thank you for listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on podbean and can be found on apple podcasts Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.